0: Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Okay, and uh, is this episode? I think 17 or 18. Anyway, we'll get that squared away. But I'm here with uh, Ryan Callahan from uh, First Light. And uh, first thing I want to say is just thanks for coming over and, and chatting. We, uh, we've been running the first light gear for a couple of years now and, uh, just super impressed. And so it's going to be nice to jump on with someone like you that's, uh, you know, hands on, you know, on location, so to speak, and can give us some, some, uh, ideas about the first light products and maybe what's well, new it, and what's coming you out. You know, the,
1: the truth is all the cool stuff happens on your end of things, you know, <laughs> our stuff's just uh, sitting inside uh <laughs> during the planning phase and and uh i guess it's not totally true but yeah the being outside the product testing and the things is where you want to be yeah yes. yes yeah
0: and i wish we could do more of that every year but that's <laughs> how it goes <laughs> me too speaking of getting out talk about uh maybe just to start talk about your uh maybe your favorite hunt from this year that you that you were able to go on
1: um you know, uh, they're all my favorite hunts. <laughs> I, I just need the outside time. Um, and I got, uh, I don't, you know, elk, I kind of just look at gro- as uh, as groceries at this point. And then I'm, I've developed this kind of twisted mindset where I'm like, okay, just get one in the freezer so I can start hunting, right? Because um, that is like bulk protein that's biggest bang for your buck in my neck of the woods anyway so um i'm like okay get that in the freezer and then i can start relaxing and hunting um and uh the but when i enjoy like really enjoy elk hunting that's when i'm running around calling for somebody else and um i got the monkey off my back i already got mine in the freezer and then i'm like oh this is fun now
0: are you uh, are you rifle guy or do you do you pick up a bow?
1: Yeah, I um, I hunt with the bow uh, early, and then when it turns into rifle season, I'm, I'm shooting a rifle. So.
0: so you're you're like us. We're not, uh, you know, we we were pretty exclusive archery there for a long time, and then finally just realized like, you know, we're missing out on a lot of good hunts just because we don't want to pick up a rifle and. Uh, the the back country was more important to us than what weapon we had you know just an excuse to get out and so yeah sounds sounds like how we are just whatever the opportunity presents we'll uh, we'll pick up whatever
1: and that's literally the only reason i started archery hunting yeah i was like oh i can start hunting earlier yeah like sign me up great um and yeah and I, i was the exact same way i did every I, I hunted in every available season. I just hunted with my bow, and that was it. Um, and yeah, man. I mean the the variety is is what I think is I've come to realize is such a huge part of the fun. Yeah. You know, it's like um, being ultra focused all the time. You can kill some of the fun. Yeah. So jumping jumping over to the rifle. And uh, getting reacquainted with that thing, and uh, you know, maybe I pulled the trigger during the season. A lot of times I don't, but yeah. I'm still rifle hunting.
0: Is so. that uh, just real quick? Give a rundown on the the Idaho tag. Is it a an either like is it archery and then you can go rifle hunt the same tag, or is it, it multiple? It totally times?
1: depends on where you are. Gotcha. Yeah, but some some areas, yes. Um, to where, you know, you'll have this goofy, uh, either sex, um, literally shoot any elk in the woods over the counter elk tag. Right. And then that turns into a, like a one week spike only rifle
0: tag. Same, same permit.
1: Same permit. Yeah. yeah. And then, <laughs> um, you have other areas where it's, it's rifle elk for, uh, you know, your 15-day season or something, so, and everything in between, yeah, Idaho's got um, a lot of, a lot of regulations, yeah.
0: Yeah, we've, we've been up, let's see, it's been um, at least two seasons now, maybe three seasons for just the, the -the over-the-counter archery elk permit, and, uh, you know, it's, it's an over-the-counter hunt, and, you know, you're, it doesn't, you know we, we weren't getting into 400 inch bulls but we didn't we didn't expect to and we don't really care to um but man it was just a good like we didn't run into any hunters you know and, yep. and maybe that's just because we you know we're, we hike a little bit off the roads but we didn't run into any hunters we got into elk um we've killed of the th- of the three years trying to think now yeah i mean we've we've killed two out of the three years that we've been up there Uh, Mm -hmm. one one was a cow uh but that was that was with my recurve so it it just seems like a good you know for the opportunist the guy that just wants to get out and go hunt it seems like a good state for that
1: oh absolutely man and and i think again um we kind of have this uh ultra focus for lack of a better term in the in the hunting world and i hunt broadside elk every year like elk stops broadside (laughs) <laughs> That's what I'm looking for, right? <laughs> uh, and and it's great. Um, I, I I I can I have not had a season yet where I look back and think it as a failure, you know. So um, uh, there's what, certain what? areas of Idaho the elk population is climbing like crazy, um, and I know Idaho Fish and Game is trying to curb that because um, they like to keep uh, elk on the on the up upslope you know you don't want these populations to plateau yeah um and yeah i mean there's there's a lot of opportunity there um there's definitely a lot of that country that um is going to be really a shock to people's systems because it's vertical (laughs) um but uh you know i always tell folks like your first year going to a new spot Worst thing you can do is try to do it in five days or a long weekend, right? Try to take 10 days. You're going to burn some days that you dreamt up on a map or on the computer. And you're <laughs> going to get there and be like, well, that's not going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're going to have some bad weather. And again, with the terrain, you're going to have, you're going to be much better off sleeping in a day and letting your body recoup, um, as opposed to just trying to do 6,000 vertical feet every well, just, day?
0: I mean, even if you're in the best shape ever, just going into a new, a new unit in a new state, especially if you haven't done any scouting trips earlier in the summer, which we, we always recommend, and we usually stick to that ourselves, but some, some years we, uh, we get cocky and we think that we can draw these out-of-state permits that we've never stepped foot into and go on a five-day hunt and find them, you know, yes. so to speak. And that's that's, I think, what you're talking about. But um, man, just you're going to spend if you haven't done a scouting trip, you're going to spend the first two days just scouting, so to speak. M- more the unit, I think, than the than the animals. And yeah, that's that's good advice. Um, it is, Matt. I mean, time
1: is always the enemy, right? So if you can figure out a way to give yourself a little bit more.
0: Well, we, uh, so, and I got a little ahead of myself here, but we're, I'm sitting down with Ryan Callahan at the uh, Western uh, Conservation and Hunting Expo, and uh, so you are, your title is, you're the, you're the, and this is what you had on your social media, so maybe it was self-proclaimed, I don't know, but you call yourself the Director of Conservation and Public Relations. Yes. At first sight. Talk about kind of just what that entails and what you're. What your kind of job description is.
1: Yeah, I, I try not to call myself much, but um, uh, yes, and, and I would, would definitely say you're, you're spot on for a long time there. It was, uh, if you would like a title, you can go ahead and make it up. But Kenton actually made this up. Kenton's one of the founders and, um, and yeah, director of conservation and public relations. So, um, you know, First Light, uh, we've always... Uh, taken uh, an actual stance on a lot of issues that um, affect hunting and public lands and access and general recreation um, because those are all you know intrinsic to our our life our lifestyle and and the business for that matter so um, uh, as this we found out you can't just kind of dip your toe into the conservation world because there's a lot of follow-up questions and there's a lot of changing, uh, going on, uh, month to month, year to year on issues. And, and if you don't know your stuff, you're going to get torn apart. And, um, so the conservation side of things has become a huge, huge part of my job. And it's become a huge part of first light. And we've been able to, uh, give back a lot more every year. And, um and you know on top of that you know really show folks that um in the hunting world that being an advocate for this stuff uh isn't isn't just for the um you know your uh, tree hugger hippies right yeah. it's like it's very real right now that um if you're a hunter and you love going places and doing your thing, you better be willing to stand up for it because, uh, you know, we're proving that that stuff can get taken away, so.
0: Yeah, you know, and I, I think when I was growing up as a kid, maybe um, just to kind of reference it, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it, it seemed to me like the the mentality was, oh, if we just just ignore that anti-hunting stuff and just keep doing what we're doing and, and you know, just mind our own business. And I think now, you know, the grizzly bear ban in, in British Columbia or yeah. is, that, is that what it was, you know, it, it just, it just kind of proves that the fights come to our doorstep. It's not, it's not something that you can just um, talk about and say, oh, you know, silly anti-hunters, you know, they're, because they're, you know, and, and not that that ban was, I don't, know, I don't know enough about it to speak intelligently, but um, I, I don't know that that was even an anti-hunting uh, you know, necessarily, other you know, but but maybe just like what you're saying, maybe it could have been prevented if if more people had stood up. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah, you can I mean, enlighten us on.
1: I think, yeah, so what happened is, uh, you know, a change of uh, elected officials up there in uh, British Columbia, and uh, they effectively passed a ban on grizzly bear hunting in the province. Um, the... You know, majority of the voting base uh, and the folks with the least amount of contact with grizzly bears (laughs) um, are uh, on on the coast, and um, and yeah, you can depending on how far back you want to look, you can definitely point the finger um, at at hunters and uh, for not. You know, in my mind, not portraying this, you know, this passion that we have to pursue these animals, passion that we have to, um, you know, use all the parts of the animals that we do, um, passion that we have to just be outside and amongst all these critters um, in a, we don't do a good job of showing the why and why this stuff is around and the management, uh, portion of this. Um, we do a really, really good job of showing these silly anti-hunters, um, giving them all the fodder that they want to put hunting in a bad light.
0: To um, elaborate on that, what are you, what are you referring to? Oh,
1: you know, it's, it's, there's this faction in the hunting world that, um, you know, it's like, um, they boil it down to, um, well, I'm not going to apologize for being a hunter. Yeah. And, well, yeah, you shouldn't apologize for being a hunter, but, um, you know, everybody's got a buddy that they don't really want to be seen with all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not putting our best face forward, right?
0: Right. Um, and, uh, and 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 furthermore, the, the compounding problem with that is different than, you know, 20 years ago. Everyone has a platform now. Yes, every single person can get on social media, and whereas I think you know, 20 years ago, the only things that were being portrayed were, um, you know, the maybe the top one percent of the industry or whatever that had a TV show or ran a major magazine. Now I have, in theory, I have as much, uh, you know, presence as yeah. as anyone. You know, I can get yep. on and something could go viral, and so now, I can affect. The, the community a lot faster than before.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, absolutely. that's
0: dangerous if, if people don't take it serious, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, if you think of, you know, the hunting population, which really isn't that big uh, when you look at it objectively, um, as, you know, your classic bell curve where you got, <laughs> you know, let's say 20% on one side that are 100% anti-hunting and you got 20% on the other side that are 100% pro hunting, and you got your 60 in the middle that could go either way. Uh, Those are the ones that we worry about. Um, And it's not just this whole, you know, antis versus hunters thing out there. It's like, you're not going to change those folks' mind. Um, We both have zealots on both sides, but, you know, the people that... We want to at least be able to have a uh, articulate, well-laid-out example of why we enjoy hunting and why hunting is necessary in the North American model of game management um, and not just boil it down to, uh, well, screw you, this is my right. <laughs> you know, that's not, not how we're going to keep this sport alive for a long time yeah. and keep it accessible, you know.
0: What is a, a takeaway from this conversation? What you know, we because I, I feel like us as as our little group here, the the backcountry guys, team backcountry, um, you know, we're we I, I think um, a good example of a lot of hunters out there. Meaning, you know, we 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 say that we're conservationists and we want to help or do a part and we want to do something good, but we're not we're not really sure. How, for lack of a better way to put it, you know, what, what what, would be just some suggestions or some easy ways that the average guy that maybe isn't, you know, you know, my title's not, I'm not the conservation guy at first light, and so that's not my daytime day job, but what are what are ways that the average hunter out there that wants to help and protect, what are some things that, yeah. that how he could just start by getting involved with?
1: Yeah, well, you know, the nuts and bolts of, you know, uh, hunter conservationist is, you know, it it goes down to uh, Pittman-Robertson, which is an excise tax on firearms and ammunition. Um, so we contribute that way if you purchase a firearm or, and you, you know, buy a couple boxes of shells every year to feed the thing.
0: So I need to go buy a couple of those uh, First Light Weatherby. Yes. <laughs> there you rifles. you yeah. <laughs> Sorry, honey. <Yeah. laughs> um,
1: and, but, you know, I'm a prime example, right? Like, I'm not a gun collector, like, I see those as tools, right? Yeah. And if you look at my toolbox at home, I got a couple of screwdrivers and a hammer and, you know, a drill. And that's the same way my my arsenal, for lack of a better term, is laid out, right? I got a couple of things that fit that niche of, you know, I got a dangerous game rifle for when I'm guiding, uh, you know, things that bite back. And then uh, I got something for that's a little more versatile for reaching out with the heavier bullet. And then I got something that's got a lighter bullet that is a hell of a lot nicer to pack around the woods when I'm not shooting anything. I'm just going for big, long walks, seeing, seeing the country, you know? So, um, and, uh, so I am not contributing to that excise tax almost at all. You know, it's a pittance. Yeah. And then the other way, um, we contribute as as hunters is by our um license and tag purchases every year and that comes down to a big big number um and we pay for a lot that way but the way um these agencies are being underfunded um it's not really enough anymore and that's why we're getting into um some of these, uh, you know, the underfunding of the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which is supposed to be a huge uh, tax. It comes from drilling that goes to fund wildlife and um, habitat. Uh, we need to fund that thing because, you know, whether we uh, like to admit it or not, hunter numbers are dropping. Yeah. And can we reasonably expect, you know, the thousand hunters that die off every year, that the rest of the hunting population is going to buy, you know, an extra tag or an extra license in a different state? Like, is that how we're going to make up that gap? I don't I don't think so. So we got to, you know, people need to uh, contribute. If you want to call yourself a conservationist, it's not just going out and playing the game. At this point, we got to step up and you got to uh, at least try to find a group that you've uh, researched and um, and you feel like their dollars being spent efficiently um, when you when you donate and you gotta you got to donate and if you can't donate volunteer and spend the time and um, there's always you know I know I talked to so many people that volunteer um, for different nonprofits and they almost always come away with new hunting spots. Yeah new people to hunt with so
0: i know one example of that here just because we're in the state of utah is uh the dedicated hunter tag uh program if you're familiar with that so you you know you if you're successful in drawing the, uh, what they call the dedicated hunter tag in utah um, you draw it for a specific unit and it's a three-year per, it's a three-year program and so guys uh who draw this are guaranteed two permits out of every, out of the three years. So basically, they can kill two bucks uh, in three years. So if you, if you kill your first two years, you're going to sit out your third, and you know you can do the math on any given year. You've got to sit out once. But the point is, um, you're required over those three years to accumulate. I think 32 service hours now. Oh wow. Yeah, and so um, you can do that in two ways. Uh, one way is to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll you know if it's coming up on your year and you haven't done it sometimes you have no choice and it's like I think they charge you 20 bucks an hour um, to pay for that but they're they encourage you and the idea behind it is to get out for you know a Saturday or two uh, throughout the year each you know for three-year period and donate your you know and if, if you go you know what four Saturdays that'd be your 32 hours um, for an eight-hour deal and and they have all sorts of projects whether it's building the water catchment or building the fence or, uh, you know, I, I don't know what all of them are. Some, some things you can even, you know, just donate work and time to the, the fish and game office or whatever. But it, that's just one example, I think, of what you're talking about of, um, you know, actually getting out and, and doing something. And and we, we participate in that. That is one thing that we do. And That's cool. You know, do the, the hours and stuff. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't aware of that program, yeah. but I mean, that's a good example right it's it's like and utah has become a ridiculously hard state to get a tag in you know so
0: that permit also allows you to hunt all three weapon choices so oh, wow. if you draw that you uh, it's kind of like being a youth hunter you can hunt the archery the muzzleloader and the rifle seasons in that unit for three years wow it's, it's, it's i think it's a hidden gem because i've talked to a few guys that aren't in the state and they're like you're kidding me. They have that. Yeah. I had never heard of that, but, um, you know, they, they charge you a little more upfront for a three-year permit. I think it's like a thousand bucks for a non-resident or so, but anyway, just one example of, you know, you get kind of get your tag and, and, uh, do some hours and, and yeah. help with conservation too, but.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, he, I, you know, I'm a dude, a uh, single guy and not a whole lot of responsibility when you look look at me compared to a lot of other folks. So, um, you know, I always, uh, Montana has a, a resident come, or Montana native come home to hunt program, right? Mm-hmm. So I was born in the state of Montana. I have um, lots of family that are still there. Um, and I think you need a direct relative uh, to be living in state to participate in the program. But I get a discounted um, deer tag, elk tag, uh upland bird and fishing license and i buy that every single year no matter what and i never when i purchase it do i know for a fact i'll be able to make it home yeah but i'm like hey that's that's a sweet program and uh if i don't punch one of these tags you know yeah at least i'm throwing some cash in there to fund the programs you know so
0: so to kind of recap that um you know obviously just buying your permits apply maybe in a you know maybe apply in a couple different states if you never I'll tell you for us the the funnest part honestly of my year of hunting is when I like application season because we don't just hunt our home state and I know there's a lot of guys that you know my my dad my grandpa are kind of like that they just want to hunt their hunting unit that they grew up hunting their whole life yep. in their home state and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but It sure is fun um, playing the point game and playing the multiple states game. And you know, I trust me, I donate. I try to donate thousands of dollars (laughs) (laughs) to these other states every year. They, ironically, they don't like to participate sometimes, um, and they give me my money back, unfortunately. But but so, applying for some some uh, multiple hunts in multiple states. um, You know, getting in contact with an organization that you can do some service hours for would be a big help. Um, are you guys a, a member of the 2% for conservation? Yep. So that that's another thing, and, and maybe you can explain real quick how that works, but finding uh, supporting companies that are supporting the system, um, and you can explain kind of what that program yeah. is and how it works. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, going back to the excise
1: taxes, like Pittman, Robertson, Dingle, Johnson, um, you know, we uh, as Hunting companies are always like, yeah, well, we have this excise tax. Well, you know, clothing's not a part of that, right? First Light's a clothing company, so we, we can't morally stand behind that one. Um, so uh, it's all about just, just trying to do, do more. And uh, I, I will tell you there's some companies out there that are, uh, First Light being one of them, that are, are really pushing, really putting a lot of time, um, I mean, my position, like I said, um, you know, paid position, full-time employee that um, that I work hard on conservation issues more than just about any of my other responsibilities at First Light at this point. So putting a lot of time and money in there. And so, yes, if you can buy from uh, companies that uh, you feel are being responsible and giving back to the things that we like to pursue, that is a good way to do it. Is that...
0: Is that uh So the the two percent for conservation doesn't that correct me if I'm wrong but do they they asking for one percent that goes in finances like one percent of your one percent of revenue one percent and one percent like uh, time or of time volunteer hours yep that's exactly
1: so yeah we have a killer crew at the office and um, lots of uh, multiple sports you know so we got folks that are donating time to coach. Skiing, build trails, clean trails, um, go on uh, goat surveys, uh, captures, all sorts of good stuff. So
0: that's awesome. And I just want to point that out because I know that, uh, you know, maybe there's people out there who, I don't know, they have physical limitation or they don't, you know, physical labor might not be in the cards or something like that, and they still want to help. You know, you can look those 2% for conservation companies up and see. You know, and, and then support companies that kind of, um, you know, uh, go out and and do that for you, so to speak. Um, you know, and uh, and put some boots on the ground for you. You know, by yep. by supporting them, they're they're supporting the system for you. So yeah, that's cool.
1: So yeah, I mean, even if you're not, uh, if you are sitting there in your armchair and you're thinking about all the days that you used to go out and hunt, I mean, buy a license. At least you're you're still helping everybody else out. Buy a duck stamp um and if that's what you do every single year yeah. it's time you better step up and and help out in other ways too cause maybe click need...
0: click in the uh, donation box that most states have on their uh on their yeah. website when you're applying and and be generous that way too so all right well I'm, there's you know we uh we've we've gone through a lot of this and i actually wanted to get into some some clothing specific stuff for guys um Maybe start just in, and this is putting you on the spot, obviously, but describe, can you describe kind of first light and just their, um, you know, what, how would you describe first light as a clothing company in, in maybe one sentence, if that's even possible or a paragraph or, um, just, just kind of what the, I don't know if, the, does that make sense? Like yeah.
1: A, um, I would say simple versatility, Yeah. wide temperature range, right? Uh
0: no, and that's, that's exactly what I was getting at. And that, that temperature range specifically is kind of what I wanted to go to. Um, talk about relative to that. Talk about, um, you know, a, a guy's maybe putting together his first backcountry hunt or he's been doing it a while and ran into problems with his clothing system and, and wasn't familiar with, uh, you know, the, the, the process that we personally, like the backcountry guys use and that I know, you know, everyone that, that's real serious about it uses is kind of this layering system. Um, talk about the the what a layering system is and why it's important to a backcountry guy specifically.
1: Yeah, um, well, yeah, I, I think the the key is uh, this word breathability that we always every company throws out. Um, you uh, your body's producing moisture around the clock. Doesn't matter if you're sedentary or on the move, right? Obviously, you're producing more if you're really pushing yourself and um, but even if you're dead still all day long you're producing moisture so um, uh, you know we use merino wool as our base layer merino is uh, extremely uh, breathable and it uh, can regulate actually regulate body temperature um, by regulating the uh, evaporative cooling that you have going on on your skin So um, it actually does the best job of any fiber out there of keeping the correct amount of moisture next to skin, um, which you need a little bit, but you don't want too much. And the stuff that leaves the skin has got to get out
0: of your clothing. So it's, it's kind of like maybe this helps people... It, is it kind of like a thermostat in your house? I mean, it's it you know it, it can go up or down depending on if you need to be cooler or warmer. Because I know, you know, merino in cold weather is is warm. You know, wool, yep. but in cool weather it can breathe. Um, I mean, is that
1: yeah goes through this thing called the glass transition, um, and basically it's when the humidity level hits a certain point, then those fibers, uh, you know, they insulate versus um mitigate moisture yeah right so um
0: and different than different than cotton and, and maybe explain the yeah and what you we- know
1: cotton's a breathable uh material until it gets saturated yeah. um but uh really it's it's the key to this system is is it's comfortable and it's breathable right so um your mind doesn't spend a lot of time thinking about how, boy, you got to toughen up because you're miserable up here on the mountain. Yeah. Um, you're a little more relaxed. Um, honestly, it adds quite a bit of endurance to your game. Um, a lot of things that you don't typically think about, but a lot of studies have been done. Um so uh, the merino moves moisture from the skin our synthetics can take that moisture um, our synthetics are all based off of merino wool the technology that every fiber is coated in this 37.5 carbon slurry it's an active carbon um, really what it does is create a ridiculous amount of surface area mm-hmm. um, and you put a put water on a huge surface it uh, disperses. And dries out really fast, fast, right? So that's really what this stuff does. Is it pulls moisture out of the merino. It disperses it amongst a ton of surface area and moves moisture.
0: Now, is that, sorry, is that, is that included in a merino piece or is that the, the next layer? It's in
1: our arrow wool. Okay. okay. Yep. so the arrow wool, the thinnest stuff that we make now, yep. um, that has a, a nylon that's treated with 37.5. Yep. And it uh, actually, at that weight, outperforms Pure Merino because it moves that moisture uh, so efficiently. Gotcha. Um, Whereas uh, Pure Merino, that thin can get super saturated. And once it's super saturated, it takes a long time to to dry out. So once it gets really wet, it takes a long time to dry out. And the key to this stuff is, just like we've been talking about, the breathability, right? So. If it's super saturated, it's not going to breathe, and it's not going to be working as much for you. It'll still uh, help insulate you, but uh, you won't have that versatility that we're looking for and what we think is a true clothing system. So, um, you know, that's the cool thing about this is we started as just a Merino
0: company. I remember those days. Yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah. and that's all we made was wool, right? So, um, and then we were approached by this company that was called uh, Kokona at the time. Um, they were a bunch of ex tex guys, um, and their system was based off this active carbon, and it was actually from, uh, burnt and crushed coconut shells, and that's how that Kokona name came out, um, and they were taking this, ca- uh, this carbon, um, that was active, um, they coat it, um, in this solution that keeps all those pores active, and then, uh, every fiber that they produce um be it a nylon or poly uh is coated in this solution um and you know it's it's a goofy deal it kind of sounds like emperor's new clothes in a certain (laughs) way um but it is wild to if i really sweat something up um and i drop my pack and i'm sitting on top of the ridge and i can throw on like our uncompagre jacket or um you know, by far and away, like our most reviewed jacket, um, and it's a synthetic fill, puffy. But that thing will suck all the moisture out of your merino. And you open that thing up, and you look on the inside, and it's pulling moisture out. And uh, you'll have if you sit there long enough, you'll have frost form on the outside of your jacket.
0: And that brings up, and so and so, we're getting into the layers here. You know that that uncompagre is maybe your your second or third layer. Um, And that that brings up something that I talked about last year in our our gear expo or our gear seminar, excuse me, that I I don't think a lot of people understand. And that is um, all these characteristics of Merino. um, You know, if you're hiking and you you take off in the morning and you're sweating like crazy and it starts heating up in the day, or, or even if it's not heating up, you're sweating and you... Um, and you take that off your, your. Rather than just switching your shirt out, why not just put your puffy jacket on over it and let that merino do what it's meant to do? Does, does that make sense? I mean, I, and I, I think that's what you're explaining is that by by insulating that, it it pulls that um, it it pulls that heat out of there and it dries out with the heat.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, it, you're putting um, something that. Uh, so, all your synthetics are, are truly, like, when we made this jump all of a sudden to everybody who's wearing Polypro, well, um, all that Primaloft stuff, you know, especially early when um, things were really being developed for the military, um, they were trying to mimic down and mimic merino wool. So, you have a, a hydrophobic and a hydrophilic fiber um, next to each other. One loves water. One hates water. Yeah. Um, so you have this push-pull thing, and that's what's going on in a, in a merino and, and down. Down just has um, doesn't quite have the ability to to move like really wet water um, like uh, like a merino can or a synthetic can. Yeah. So um, yeah, you put uh, you know the synthetic insulation piece over um, you know. Uh, damp or even wet merino and it'll start pulling that moisture out and it doesn't need to be uh, heated and that's what's cool about the 37.5 stuff is it works uh, just like merino does uh, to where you don't need to be producing heat Um, I mean extreme heat certain uh, materials out there they truly function when you produce uh, you know um, uh, oh What's the right word? They they produce under pressure, so the, some of these uh, membranes out there they you know, they need an internal pressure produced by heat and uh, your sweat turning to gas or a vapor um, in order for them to really start breathing. Yeah. Um, whereas this stuff, um, it can perform when you're completely sedentary, and that's why you know a lot of our whitetail stuff does so well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually. I mean, for us Western hunters, I always look at those jackets, I'm like, they're so bulky and huge and heavy. And you hand them to a whitetail guy, and they're like, are you sure this is going to keep me warm? <laughs> it's really light, you know? Um, but it, they do so well because they address that, issue of you're always producing moisture even if you're standing dead still in a tree stand so um, those big heavy jackets they'll pull that moisture from next to skin and get it to the outside and they'll keep you in that prime operating zone of um, you know the right humidity level next to skin not excess and not too little
0: and so what uh, um, continue on the the layer system I mean what would kind of be your you know, maybe walk through the the, the layers and and uh, you know, maybe maybe even for an early season or a late season hunt, you yeah. know what what a layer system would look like for a guy.
1: Well, um, you know, as you know, like, uh, you know, especially looking around this room, um, everybody's body is going to perform a little bit different <laughs> in different zones, right? So, um, myself, I will wear our merino boxers are um, the wool pants which are called the obsidians these days um, my new favorites they regulate body temperature better than any pant on the market period and they have uh, this insane versatility that you just cannot find um, and i can wear that pair of pants in a hundred degree heat all the way down to zero if i'm really being active Um, when temps start going below freezing and staying below freezing, I'll wear three quarter length arrow wool bottoms, um, because I hate overheating, (laughs) but those wool pants, they insulate so well when you're stopped that I don't have to wear heavy long johns. And, uh, our uncompagre puffy pants. Or something that I pack with me all the time. It's built just like our jacket, but it's a pair of pants. Um, and
0: I wear... Uh, you wearing those on the outside of yeah. your... Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. I, and,
1: one pet peeve of mine is this uh, zip-off long underwear thing that's out there. <laughs> I'm like, you just cannot explain that to me in a way that makes any sense.
0: Zip-off... Long underwear. Yeah, so you drop
1: your your pants, and then you zip these things off, and you don't have to take your boots off. I I'm see. like, well, why don't you just wear this pair of wool pants? You probably won't need long johns. Yeah, <laughs> at all. And then uh, throw on a pair of puffy pants over the top, and you can stash them anywhere. You never have to get bare in the woods.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we've all been there. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, and uh, and yeah, man. So last hunt I did. Um, I mean that's the nice part like there's I have about six core pieces uh, the pants, boxers um, these triad socks that we make are fantastic uh, merino t-shirt uh, neck gaiter and uh, you know oftentimes this uh, sawtooth the hybrid jacket um, that are with me Year-round. Every hunt. Every single hunt. Okay. And then uh, at the end of the season, uh, I add, so mid-season, I have the uncompagre jacket. Late season, uh, I can hunt in the sawtooth even when it's cold, cold, especially with a big pack, primarily with a big pack. And then uh, the new down jacket that we came out with comes into play, and I I mean, I live in that thing. Yep. Live in
0: it, so I can't wait to get my hands on that. I mean, I use the Uncompagno right now, but um, yeah. So for me, every every hunt I'm taking, and I'm so, and I'm a, I'm a cold. I'm I don't know what the right phrase is. I'm cold blooded. I hate the cold. Okay. Okay. And so every single hunt on my bottoms, I'll have the long the long johns. You know, we're I'm we're. We're LDS, and so we're wearing special. Yep. You, you know how that goes. Yep. And, I would, I and
1: I would. I've always wondered, like, the fabrics.
0: So they have multiple fabrics. Um, we use we use one, and I don't. I won't. It's it's not. They're not. These aren't weird secrets or anything. But um, they they make one fabric that we use. It's called a dry luxe. Okay. And it's it's not merino, but it's the closest thing that Kay. they'll offer. Okay. Um, you know, because it's that's a real that's a real talking point to bring up. You know, if if you've if you've got a religious thing or something where you've got to wear a certain type of um, garment or bottom or something like that, um, you know, the the great thing about merino is all these things that we talked about. The the unfortunate part is it. Correct me if I'm wrong. For it to really do what it's supposed to do, it needs to be next to skin. Is that right, that, or that's is that certainly, changed?
1: certainly the best way? Yeah. Um, you know, I know some folks that'll still run like lightweight polypro or uh silk next to skin. Um but uh yeah, I mean for me it's uh that's that's the way to get the most benefit out of it. Yeah. You're not gonna be uh out of luck by any means.
0: Yeah, and it's it it, it it works just fine. I mean, you know, running it how we run it, but I'll I'll run those um I'll bring those those uh, merino uh, long john bottoms and and those usually don't go on um I actually just sleep in those most of the time yep. at night I hate my skin touching you know yeah. sleep the, the bag. sleeping bag and yeah. you get sweating in there and it's just weird um you know having your legs touching each other for some reason but um so I sleep in those and then the, they'll be there if you know the weather turns for some reason um, and then and then I'll wear the obsidian pants, like you said. Clear in we wore, I wore them this year. I wore them on every hunt. Um, we had a late November, or a November season hunt, but it was down in New Mexico, so it wasn't that cold. But regardless, with those, if if it was really cold, I could keep those uh, those long johns on and the and the obsidian pants, and just about um, handle. It, it would have to be pushing zero degrees i think where i'm just glassing for hours um not moving to even need anything more than that um but then on the top i'll have an Aerolite light uh, uh base layer and then i'll have um one of the mid layers and i, I can't remember the names all the time yeah um but the little thicker mid layer that's like a, a pullover with the hoodie yeah chama hoodie yep chama hoodie yep and that uh, that hoodie is and that man, thing's a staple. <sighs> that yeah. is a staple. That goes on every hunt. And then I'll still because it's so light and the warmth is so, um, I'll still pack the poofy jacket. And then even on earth, like we when we go into Nevada early August, I still pack um, my the guy jacket. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the the softshell uh, jacket. Just and and with that right there, there's I mean there's literally nothing in august or september that's been thrown at me that i can't handle
1: oh yeah Um, and it is you know i'm always experimenting with this stuff and there's always a learning curve and um it's it's you know a lot of times um you know i'll just be like mentally cold the first (laughs) first day or first night and then from there on out it's like I still have pieces in my pack that I'm not using, which I do really dislike having extra stuff, you know. Um, But, uh, you know, being it, uh, the kit, you know, the reason there's a lot of clothing companies out there and we make some pieces that in my mind can overlap a little bit um, is because everybody runs a little bit different, you know, so... Um, you got to figure out what, what really works for you and what clicks and you got to be able to
0: get yourself outside your comfort zone to uh, geez <laughs> that is a big somebody yeah. needs to report to a booth <laughs> Sorry. Uh,
1: but yeah you got to you got to figure out what's going to work best for you and, and you got to be willing to kind of be like alright I'm going to leave this yeah. and for better or worse is what I got yeah. and that's what pretty much every time I do that um with our gear it's you know i'm always nervous because we're creatures of habit especially when you're working on these backcountry kits and you're like i know this works it
0: it becomes it it becomes almost an insecurity you know you're just you're you're paranoid that i don't know i mean i'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in, i just know i'm gonna it's a, a negative 10 storm's gonna blow through in august and i'm gonna be stranded yes. up here but it's just yes, exactly. it's just not not realistic
1: exactly so um yeah, man. It, it, like this year, we had 30 some new styles out. Um, and dinking around and, uh, giving everything its due diligence and trying everything out. And, um, I mean, it's a pretty good sized duffel bag of stuff. And <laughs> by my last big game hunt in November, um, you know, I had whittled all that down to six pieces. Yeah. You know, so. Um, and you, that's, that's what I like.
0: What do you think is maybe the, the biggest or the most common mistake that backcountry hunting guys make relative to their clothing systems?
1: Well, I think, uh, and definitely jump in here, man, cause everybody's got a different opinion, but I think you can put together a seriously crappy kit if you just focus on the ounces.
0: <laughs>
1: and, uh, you know, oftentimes you know, get somebody to be like, "Whoa, yeah, I like like this, but uh, this is uh, you know an ounce and a half heavier than this," <laughs> and, and it's so funny. Like you get these dudes that are just you know built like you, strong, strong guys, and I'm like, "Well, what are you worried about?" <laughs> yeah. Like. I don't think you're going to feel that uh, half a toothbrush versus your full-length toothbrush.
0: <laughs> I used to do that. Yeah, I you know, so. to, I used to cut my handle off my toothbrush, and finally I just... A, I realized, and this might be gross, but half of the nights I didn't brush my teeth anyway. <laughs> and the other half, it was just a more of a pain than anything because I was working with half a toothbrush. Yeah. It was just so stupid. Yeah. And it didn't matter, but...
1: Uh, so, yeah, I, I think... There's no substitute for being on the mountain, right? No substitute for days in the field. If you want to get serious about this stuff, you got to get some stuff and try it out in the field. And, uh, you know, even speaking from personal experience and developing products at First Light, there comes a point where the more you look at something on the computer and the more you talk about it,
0: the worse off you're going to be.
1: <laughs> you gotta get outside versus staying inside and and over analyzing.
0: Just do it. Yeah, and my my opinion, if I had to say, I would say that, uh, and it's along those same lines, but um, from what I've seen and from what I experienced myself getting into this world is uh, guys pack their insecurities. I mean, I and relative to clothing, I was the guy when I first started that was packing a pair of underwear for every single day that I was going to be in there I just was and I was just like well you know whatever that's gross or you know it's not that much heavier I was packing you know more pounds of clothes than almost anything you know collectively and 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 for you know on the the flip side of that um, if there's something you know if you're like me where you're you're cold-blooded and you think man you know, it's an early hunt, but, and maybe I could get away with not bringing the guide jacket and just wear the poofy or whatever, but you want that. There's probably something else in your pack that would offset the weight of that, that you, that's also an insecurity that you don't need. Um, You know, I don't know. I used to, well, I used to pack a whole set of Allen wrenches for my bow hunts, which I need an Allen wrench, but I only needed one or two yep. sides, you know, and I, and I could have pulled those off or went and bought the individual ones and said, I literally was packing the whole, you know, that thing probably weighs half a pound, you yeah. know, that whole Allen wrench set, just, just being lazy or whatever thinking I'll just throw that in cause I need an Allen wrench set. Um, just something like that, that if, if you're worried about the weight of a certain product of clothing that, you know, you actually need maybe, there's probably something else in your pack that is either an insecurity or unnecessary that weighs as much, and you could you could offset that, and and you don't need a full blown Leatherman system. Yeah, you know maybe you just need your pocket knife and a and a little tiny screwdriver or something. You know I, I don't know yep. what it is in everyone's pack. Who knows? But um, well,
1: like uh, yeah. grizzly mitts that we make are a prime example. That's a heavy heavy mitt to be yeah. packing in the backcountry, right? Um, it's got a shell. It's got a liner, um, full leather palm, um, thick leather palm. Um, I mean, that's that that's a substantial mitt, but it's indestructible. Um, you know, when you're carrying a big heavy pack, hopefully on the way out, and you're going through a bunch of blowdown and stuff, um, you're not going to shred those things. Yeah. They actually there's a lot of protection there, and And yeah, man, I, I don't, I, you know, I shuck them to actually make a shot, but you know, carrying stuff all day long, cold weather, those things are amazing. And so I can justify those right um, really easily. I know dudes that, um, I don't do this, but they pack a pillow, (laughs) you know, a backcountry pillow on every single hunt and, uh. You know they need their sleep, and they that has been a, a game changer for them. Um, for me, I can sleep on a freaking rock. You know, it I doesn't matter, um, and I can I can sleep well. So or
0: or you know if you are a guy like me that that really needs a pillow because I sleep on my sides a lot. Um, instead of packing just a pillow, which is only good for a pillow, you know, I use one of my stuff sacks from my uh, you know my sleeping bag and I wad up any extra clothes that I'm not wearing at night, and I put them in, and that's my pillow. Yes. You know, and I've now I've made two uses for one thing rather than, you know, and then that allows me to maybe pack one extra jacket that I will use and need, you know, as uh, instead of, you know, wasted weight or whatever.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I mean, no no substitution for days on the mountain, and it, it takes some time to figure it out, but yeah. I uh, – there comes a time when you gotta get off the gear lists on the forums, and you gotta get out and try this stuff and see what works for you, you know. Because, um, like I said, going purely off the ounces, you're not gonna be able to do it. Going yeah. purely off the materials, you're not gonna be able to do it. Yeah.
0: And and speaking of the forums and stuff, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this. Um, you know, I I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about. You know, we're I'm giving a seminar tomorrow at the expo here on. Um, gear and, and no one will hear this in time to go but if if um, the point is I spent a lot of time thinking about what would bring the most value to someone sitting in in a seminar listening to a gear conversation and I, I brainstorm and I brainstorm and I thought I, I, I come up with one thing that I don't know if a lot of people are talking about and it goes along with what you're saying on the forums and that is there are a lot of people out there myself included when I first got started that are taking backcountry gear advice from people who don't consistently hunt the backcountry. And you think about that, and it sounds silly to say, but I'm telling you, just because someone is a a quote-unquote big name in the industry, or famous hunter, or has the biggest social media following... I want people to take a hard look at how many days in the backcountry field where that guy is literally sleeping in a backcountry tent and has to pack all that stuff without a, even without, you know, whatever the, however you hunt, find the, the guy that actually hunts that way and take advice from that person rather than the guy with the biggest social media following or your cousin Rick that, you know, went on one you Know overnight, hun and thinks that he has the answers, and because that's when you start, I think, buying things and packing things that maybe you don't need, you shouldn't be using, or whatever. So, anyway, yeah, that's my little rant. And I
1: mean, you got to start small, <laughs> and there is, I mean, like you say, that, that's why I always go back to that like, all it comes down to is days in the field, yeah, like you're gonna learn so much. Um, And you're going to, more importantly, learn what works for you and doesn't work for you specifically. And, um, you know, it's like when I start people on first light, um, you know, we'll have guys come in the booth at Dallas Safari Club and had had a guy come in the booth this year and he's going on his first sheep hunt and he had a list of stuff printed off and he's like, this is what I'm thinking. (laughs) And. You know, I whittled that thing down <laughs> substantially. Like I was like, do not need this. Do not need line. four pairs yeah. of this. Do not need this. Do not need this. Uh-huh. Um it, it, because that's the difference between being on the mountain and yeah. and and dreaming of being on the mountain, right? And everybody goes through that process, including me, but um you know, it uh we want to whittle this stuff down to the least possible amount, the most efficient use. Yes.
0: And, uh, that's, that's what we try to be about. Perfect. Okay. Last thing here, we do this fire round that I ask everyone. These are just real, like this or that type questions. So, um, for your archery equipment, fixed blade or mechanical? Hey, you're in Idaho. So you, you guys have to run uh, fixed blades. I have to there? run fixed blades.
1: Yeah. Um, but what? you know, I'm a Montana kid. Uh, growing up, and you can shoot mechanicals there. Um, I actually had, uh, you know, firsthand had some bad experience with mechanicals. It's a long time ago. Everything, everything always improves. But um, I uh, switched over to uh, single blade, uh, single bevel, and absolutely love them, and have had just unbelievable success and um shooting them out of a real fast bow and now i shoot shoot them out of a real slow bow Mm -hmm. and and success on both sides so
0: antelope deer or elk if you had to choose one
1: Mm, i mean all have their excellent (laughs) attributes right i i love uh it's kind of biased, right? Because I talked about like having the elk in the freezer, and that's step one every year. I thought Is that I... would
0: be no-brainer. I thought that would be your, your... Oh, but I love deer. Love
1: <laughs> love hunting deer. Um, but it's different because I stuff an elk in the freezer, and then I never have to shoot one if I don't need to. <laughs> so I end up, you know, falling around deer and trying to find the biggest buck I can, and, <laughs> and uh, half the time I walk away from the thing because <laughs> the season's not over yet, and I want to go check someplace else out yeah, so
0: not ready to end yeah it. yeah love deer season uh what's your favorite backcountry rifle caliber
1: um the, if if i had one it'd be the 300 win mag that's i mean that's i have so much confidence in that round and um I, and we can go on and on about that but i uh, actually have been packing around a uh, 280 ackley improved um uh the last couple of years uh for these uh deer hunts uh that, that i'm typically just packing a rifle around taking it for a walk <laughs> and it's <laughs> a lot lighter and um and i've had a, i've really had
0: a lot of fun with that gun just something new and and uh i shoot the same thing great. um i shoot the same caliber are you reloading it or do you buy factory well,
1: honestly that's part of the reason that i've been so impressed with the ackley is um i bought uh nosler was the only company that was building for it that one um,
0: 160 grain Accubond,
1: and they had like a 167 um partition oh dude it's slightly heavier than the Accubond, hmm. um i believe and and my buddies over there at nosler so might one, want to throttle one, me right one now 168 i think okay, 168. And and I found that that heavier bullet, even though I I truthfully, I liked the Acubon more than a partition, um, that uh, that heavier bullet uh, shot a lot better out of that Ackley and was grouping awesome. And I rang steel out to 800 yards and walked it back in and rang steel all the way back in and shot a killer group at 200 and and, and I need uh, simpler things in my life. So if I can get away with not hand-loading, I hand-load for my 300. Uh, I hand-load for this, uh, I have a 6.5 Grendel also. Um, and, uh, but that Ackley and then uh, Hornady has around for the Ackley now um, that yep. I grabbed hun- a box that, of. Uh,
0: the Hunter... Uh, the, with an ELDX. ELDX, yeah. I've been yep. trying to get my hands on a box. <laughs> I,
1: I got think. my hands on a box and it flies awesome. Like, I literally, uh, you know how you are when I feel like if you ever sit on a bench rest, you're like looking to make adjustments. Yeah. Right. And I pretty standard, like, oh, a couple of ticks up and then about four rounds later, a couple of ticks back down. And I'm like, okay, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Side it in. So, yeah. So there's I'm excited to see some new rounds coming out for that just cuz I do like that cartridge. So.
0: it's it's becoming do you run it with a uh, with a brake with a muzzle brake?
1: No brake. Yeah. And
0: that that's where and I don't know if that's how you came to that conclusion of that caliber but that's it was to me it was about the most efficient and and most knockdown power without really crossing that like seven millimeter mag like okay it's time to put a brake on this thing to really comfortably shoot it and it's 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 so close to a 7mm mag that it, it's silly you know it's, yes. it's really the same 100 the same. feet per
1: second or yep.
0: 200 feet per second
1: or something like that but so. it
0: just for me it was just that that's where i do the line of okay this is this is a rifle that i don't have to worry about having earplugs in for every shot because i'm not going to put a brake on it it's 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 now become my you know, there's two different types of hunts. And most of our hunts nowadays are backcountry, big country. You know, Wyoming last year, we're shooting 400 yards across the canyon. We have plenty of time to line it up. They don't, bucks don't know we're there. But I grew up hunting, beating the hills. You know, the, just yeah. the rolling hills. And <clears throat> and uh, most of your shots are, you know, you kick a buck up at, at 150, and you're going to hope he turns and gives you that one-stop look at 200. Yeah. And you got you know, three seconds to get down and get ready. And uh, that's how we grew up hunting. And so I wanted a rifle that, you know, I didn't have to scramble to put earplugs in, you know, yeah. and so I didn't want the brake on it. But anyway, yeah. love no,
1: that. I, uh, I, I am truthfully afraid of muzzle brakes. I've had <laughs> some really bad experiences. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, when I was first, when I really first started guiding, that's when muzzle brakes were all of a sudden, there was like that boss system and then the muzzle brakes were, Uh, You really actually saw them in the field Mm -hmm. and, you know, there was, that certainly adjusted my positioning when I was with a client and yeah, this first, first dude just absolutely lit me up (laughs) and I was standing in the spot that I'd normally stand and, and uh, man, I have, yeah, my, my hearing is terrible these days, but I had a couple of experiences like that, learning experiences and Man, now I look at those things and just shake. So, yeah. yeah. But uh, I also had, you know, I never saw, and we've talked about this extensively, but um, especially with the 280 Ackley, is it's so close to a 7mm mag, but to this day I will not own a 7mm mag because I I just saw a lot of uh, poor performance in the field way back when. And I think, and that was when the 7mm mag was just coming on and i think uh looking back uh, i'm a little older and wiser that the the actual hunting rounds were not uh we're not good uh you know they're paper punching rounds not animal punching rounds and uh yeah and so i, I just can't go back can't can't find a seven mma you know? mentally it's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just not not gonna happen makes sense but that 280 I have a 280 Remington and a 280 Ackley Improved, so
0: same same caliber bullet, uh, yeah. yep. same caliber. Uh, what's your this might be a tough question for you, but what's your dream hunt? Maybe you've already been on it.
1: Oh. Just give me give me a solid 2 weeks on the mountain. You can pick the animal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Hey, we're going squirrel hunting. Just give me the time. <laughs> give me the time. No cell phone. That sounds great. That's an awesome answer. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm kind of a goofy guy when it comes to that. Like, I love, like you, chasing mule deer around. Is just so freaking cool, and and I love the country that they're in, and and uh, you know, just trying to figure those things out. And that's a lifetime pursuit. Um, and you know, but if they came in a much smaller size, I'd probably enjoy that, too. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Helping your buddies kill big mule there, too. I've watched your, uh, was that you and uh, Renella that oh, yeah. went back in Idaho this year? Yeah, and he, yeah. he killed a, you got a nice buck, too, and he killed a bomber. Yeah. Yeah, that was, oh, uh, that yeah. was I, I was, that was a fun, uh, yes. you haven't watched that one. What about one. you, dream hunt? Oh, man. Nobody asked me that yet. 17 episodes you're the first one that's asked me and i don't have an answer no my i mean my immediate kind of like a realistic dream hunt so to speak is uh, i've got i've been building points for eight or nine years for goats here in utah um and that for for a long time now that's kind of been my man i love to go you know i want yes. to go hunt goats with my with my bow um but you know there's some of those that are right now at least they're so far out of out of reach for me you know like a you know, a doll sheep tag, I think I would take that over a goat hunt, you know, yeah. if I had the choice, but, um, but for now my, my answer would be just a, a goat hunt. Um, but man, I, I'm kind of like you, but just with elk, like you take your, if, if I had to choose, you know, take your doll sheep hunt and take your goat hunt and I'll hunt, I'll chase elk in September with my bow every yeah. year for the rest of my life. Oh yeah. And, if it's and be like, happy. you want to
1: do this and yeah. like, okay, you can hunt this goat this year. But then you can't hunt anything else
0: for ten years. If I could never hunt elk, even yeah, even for ten years, I would I would choose elk. It's just it is it's it's my thing. Yeah, so so you know it's if it's, you get that goat.
1: I mean, I was just talking with old uh, Dustin Rowe yesterday, um, well-known guide and uh,
0: sheep guru. Yep,
1: yeah, but we were talking goats, man, and and he's like, yeah, if those things had more impressive headgear everybody (laughs) everybody would be hunting those instead of sheep um and i'd jump on anytime my buddies draw a goat tag i'd do everything i can to go Yeah. Uh, because they are they are (laughs) so much fun and they're so underrated it is crazy and i the country is insane like once you get up to where the goats are it's just goats and the occasional grizz cruising around and it's awesome, man. I mean, it is it is so cool. Yeah, so I hope you draw
0: your goat tag. Yeah, me too. Um, favorite backcountry food item?
1: You know, the food, this year and probably last year, I've gone almost the entire season without eating a single bar because <laughs> I've just hit a point of uh, I'd rather not eat than eat one of those. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I pack around. Uh, it's not ideal because of the waste, but I pack around to, like a lot of sardines and stuff like that because I like uh, yeah, I like the fat and the real food. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. Oof. I feel I'll I'll go through some extra pains to bring some some meat and cheese and
0: some canned fish of some sort. Kind of uh, old old school, old old style. Good, yeah good old boys in the backcountry type stuff
1: and i'll go you know i'll i'll go back and i'm always picking stuff up here and there you know but trying out new freeze-dried food or dehydrated food and trying to find something that um you know i mean you fall around some dudes after a week of mountain house and it's like following a mule train up oh, the mountain gosh. right it's like the the off-gassing can be <laughs> impressive so finding uh finding something that burns a little cleaner is
0: Is a goal. Okay, last one here. Uh, If you could only hunt one state the rest of your life, which would it be?
1: I don't. Uh, That's a horrible question. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, growing up in Montana, some of the like the true stark differences in terrain are pretty awesome you know you can drop into the missouri breaks and get some real breaks country bad land stuff and super cool history and then you can go hunt uh dark timber and and uh, montana's a challenge you know
0: they're uh they're residents too i think you know it's kind of a it's it's so far north that most people i think it flies under the radar but their residents get so many opportunities for tags. It is silly. Like, yeah, we have a, a good buddy that hunts up there, uh, Sam McKeith. And, oh, yeah, I got my, you know, went out antelope, mule deer, elk every single year. You yeah. know, it's not, it's just that simple. He's just hunting all three every year. And, and the and antelope good... population's tanked, man. When I, was growing oh, up,
1: when I was growing up, we'd shoot almost without exception four antelope a year. <laughs> And oftentimes more than that. Because you'd get a fawn tag with your buck tag. And you'd draw your buck tag every year. And then you'd get a follow up letter that says, hey, there's a bunch of surplus fawn tags. And you could, without applying for them, just pick up the leftover tags. Yeah. Over the counter. Yeah. So, and then there's a lot of goofy stuff in Montana that you do a little bit of research in. You can you can shoot multiple bucks a year um multiple elk a year now um so yeah there's there's a lot of opportunity i mean it's
0: it's hard to say
1: yeah i mean you can as you know you can spend an entire lifetime in a drainage if you want to it's
0: my grandpa (laughs) one one little mountain range yep well, one last question I ask everybody, but first I want to give you credit, Ryan, for, uh, you know, first to say thanks for coming on and spending the time. And but I want to give you credit for, uh, you know, first just being a part of a, a company and an organization that, uh, you know, I feel like, um, you know, you guys are obviously in business to make money, but um, you make it about more than just that. Um, you know, you, you truly care. And that's why we like partnering with you guys. Um, give you credit for, you know, being one of the guys in the industry that, uh, is just themselves and, and people, you know, I, 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 there's no definition of who is and who isn't or anything like that, but you, you can just tell that you're one of those guys that, uh, you know, you, uh, you, you're not trying to be anything. You're not trying to be anyone other than yourself and, and people realize that. And, uh, and so thanks, thanks for that being an example of that in the industry. So, and then, oh, I appreciate uh, it, man. Appreciate yeah. what you guys do.
1: And, um, uh, you know, I think the first light deal is just, it's, uh, it's unique. And I'm sure a lot of companies started out that way, but it's, uh, you know, everybody is the end consumer, right? Like everybody in the office has skin in the game. It's like the only places we have to hunt are on public lands. And, uh, that's where we're out pushing ourselves for a variety of different aspects and sports. And, and, uh, you know, I think I think yeah. I mean, it really shows, right? So
0: perfect. Okay, last question. Why? Uh, why do you hunt the backcountry?
1: You know, backcountry or frontcountry. I'm just. <laughs> I have walked away from the best knowledge in the world. Like, hey, if you go over here, there is a 200-inch buck laying on this hillside, and if there's another truck there, I will not go hunt it you know, I mean, I just, it's more important to me to have the solitude than, than anything, you know, and there's, there's front country zones where you can find that too. Um, and you got to be a little more careful and secretive about those spots cause they're surrounded by roads. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, it's, it, uh, especially this day and age, it, you got to, it's getting harder to find those places where you can get alone and get, a little more remote and, and feel like, uh, you know, it's just you on your own out there, you know? So Perfect. yeah, it's, it's, I, uh, I, I'm not sure if I'd be alive if I didn't have those places, you know, I mean, you're certainly not, uh, happy and healthy.
0: So. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thanks for jumping on Ryan. Oh, thank you very much. Hey everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.